I created this podcast with the Anchor app. Anchor is a free app designed to give people like me a free and easy way to create a podcast as well as distribute it to all platforms. The app makes recording, editing, and getting your podcast out there easy as well as free. It is available in the Apple App Store and on Android apps. So today I have a special episode, which I'm hoping will be the first of a few episodes. Two of my friends who are African American have agreed to discuss racism with me. I really feel like I couldn't do justice to the issue by speaking myself and looking up historical facts and spewing out my own opinions. I I truly feel that talking with people that are not white would ring truer for this topic. I am a privileged white male and cannot even begin to understand fully the plight of this demographic of Americans. Now, I I consciously choose not to use the word minority, uh, with the reasons being that, you know, the definition of minority does not directly relate only to race, and also lately it can draw a negative connotation on humanity as a whole, as in lesser than. Now, for their own safety and precaution, I am protecting their identities so that there are no repercussions from our conversation. So for the sake of this conversation, we will call them Jane and John. They are two friends of mine who provide a unique insight into living in America and being black. Racism in this country needs to end, plain and simple. Be human. Be a kind human. The color of a person's skin does not mean anything except for genetic and ethnic diversity. No person is less nor more because they are darker or lighter skinned than the person next to them. As my wife and I have numerous discussions on various topics, we really are both just kind of exhausted by the constant struggle with with ignorance when it comes to race. There is no reason for it. Yet, you know, week after week, we keep hearing of new instances of racism on full display. Whether law enforcement is involved or innocent victims hanging from trees or white supremacist groups acting out, these grotesque actions are against all of humanity. Now, I say we are exhausted, but I know that that cannot even come close to comparing to the exhaustion that non-white people must be feeling. I can only sympathize, but I cannot empathize because I am white, and I have not experienced being racially profiled or targeted. But there is hope. Peaceful organizations like Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, and the Grassroots Law Project, founded by Sean King and Lee Merritt, have been trying to highlight, provide help to, and put an end to the injustices that occur every day. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor are names that need to be remembered and not forgotten or buried by all of the other headlines that seem to keep coming up with these times. You know, we'll never progress or move forward as people, nor as a country, if this constant ignorant division presides in America. We need to be decent humans and humane to everyone, regardless of what they might look like. That's just kind of my rant on things. Uh, This is a very important topic to me, as I do have a number of friends that are not white, And I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, John, Jane, thank you guys for sitting down with me and having this conversation. Um, I think it's uh, something very needed nowadays. I think it's 
with all the political crap that's happened in the last week or two, we've lost a lot of sight of the bigger issues that are going on in our country. Um, you know, especially just last week in Wolf City here in Texas, mm -hmm. you have a guy, I don't care what color he is, trying to help out a woman who's fighting with her boyfriend and he gets shot after being tased. It just, it brought the relevance back up, you know, and I do, I think it got lost a little bit along the way, even with the protests and everything still going on. It was very politicized and moved in a totally different direction than the way I think it would go. So I want to thank you guys for, for sitting down and having this conversation with me. Um, and I, I'll try and keep the questions separated to you, John, and to you, Jane. Um, one thing I wanted to start off with was, um, so Jane, where did you grow up at? What, what region of the country did you grow up at? I grew up in New Mexico. And so, um, you know, I didn't grow up in the South. So my childhood was in New Mexico and I grew up uh, around um, Native American Indians, Navajo Indians. And my parents were, um, they were teachers there. So um, my experience as a child growing up in New Mexico and then moving to, um, to Texas when I was about 10 or 11 years old, it uh, it was a culture shock. <laughs> I even recognized it then when I was a, a oh, kid. I can imagine. To Texas. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a totally different totally area different. of the country. I, I had no idea that's where you grew up at. So, so you, you may have an even more unique perspective. Did you see, maybe not experience it yourself because I've, I've heard things and I mean, I don't have anything to back up any any comments but i've heard that uh, indians especially in new mexico and parts of arizona are, are really victims of racism there quite a bit mm -hmm. so yeah. did, did that kind of take away do you think from your experience before you moved here well i mean i would say that as a kid like i had no clue about racism i mean because we were you know we were surrounded by indians and so really it wasn't until i moved to texas that i had even an inkling that there was such a thing as racism. Um, and honestly, I think that's why I see things probably a little bit differently um, because I didn't grow up around that. Like in New Mexico, it is a completely different culture. And then growing up around um, Indians, of course, that is the original, right? I mean, that is yeah. the original, original racism. I mean, right. those, they were decimated. So, you know, my perspective is a little bit different, but yeah, it, 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 nothing really, and I don't know as a kid, I don't know, maybe because I didn't grow up um, in that like racist culture, I didn't grow up that way. So um, I think my perspective is, is different, but uh, it certainly uh, hit me when, I, when we moved to Texas. I was like, I, 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 it's almost like you can feel the shift of energy really? coming from a place like New Mexico that is so open. In fact, but my parents, my parents grew up in the South. My dad grew up in East Texas, terribly racist. My mom grew up in Waco and it was very segregated. Um, so they had their own experience, but when they got married and moved to New Mexico and they were able to, so when they, were, when they grew up, they couldn't, um, they had to sit at the back of the bus, they couldn't go to a restaurant, they couldn't go to the movies, they couldn't do any of this stuff. When they moved to New Mexico, it was wide open. They could do whatever they wanted to do. So it's a, it was a completely different, it's a, just a different mindset. And that's what I was born into. Um, so my growing up 
I see it a little bit differently. I mean, I just didn't grow up with all of that. So um, when I moved to Texas and I started to feel the oppression of racism, it was very confusing. I, I didn't understand because I didn't grow up that way at all. So I had to work through a lot of that confusion and I feel like probably took a several steps back uh, words because it was so, um, I would say it was subtly oppressive. Like this is the 80s, right? So it's not gonna be like as bad as it was in the 60s. Right. But um, you know, there's always gonna be that subtle racism, those microaggressions that I experienced. Well, and I also think that it, it depends on like where in Texas. So like mm -hmm. when you moved to Texas, was it like Dallas, big city, or were you out in the middle of nowhere? West Texas, West Texas. Uh, which is definitely, <laughs> I've, I've been out there. Yeah. My son did a year in college out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, that's middle of nowhere. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. I could definitely see it being a lot worse than if you had moved to Houston or Dallas right. or even yeah. Austin. Yeah, it was West, West Texas. So right. I'm sure that was definitely a mm -hmm. big culture shock. Huge. Wow. Huge. Man, and, and to your point, yeah, I mean, going from not even really knowing what racism is to to West Texas, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a good move. And it wasn't, but I do feel like it taught me that, um, I, I just feel like I had an advantage because I saw it for what it was because I was like, wait a minute, this is not, this is not real like right. why where is this coming from as opposed to someone who was born into it grew up in it and so that's all they ever knew right so I knew that things could be different and a lot more in your face in other places so that helped me a lot gotcha yeah. wow man yeah I couldn't imagine that that had to be a huge culture shock um so so John um what about you what what area of the country did you grow up in I grew up in Houston Okay, okay. I'm also from Houston, so. Okay. Uh, south side of Houston. Okay. Uh, off of Scott Street. Uh, very near where I was born, about uh, a mile from where George Floyd was born. And, well, not really? where he was born and raised, but where he was, where his mom brought him when he was uh, a young kid. Um, I grew up on Seabrook for the first five years. Uh, and then my dad was able to get a, a really nice job at Wico, which was his machinist, and we moved down to the s south side of Third Ward, which is called Sunnyside. So we moved to Sunnyside, nice little suburbia area, mm -hmm. beautiful homes. My dad paid like $14,000 for the house. Wow. And we lived there, it was brand new. Everybody got along, uh, it was real nice for the first, um, you know, for that, until 1981. Really? What happened in 1981? Reagan came in office. Ah. So, a lot like what we're seeing in the past four years. Yes. And crime was, you know, there, there was minor crime, people breaking into houses, things like that. Right. Which but, we have here yeah. in our areas, too, yeah. yeah. It wasn't anything really bad with the drug war, when the drug war came. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, most of the friends that I had in my neighborhood, you know, were all in jail. Everything. Really? Uh, but I, that, that I were on my street. Either jail or dead. Uh, even my own brother. Wow. And, um, like, here's an example. Uh, I, you gotta look at what, what changed, what can change a person's direction. For me, it was an incident that happened when I was seven. I walked in the house and this guy was robbing our house. And he held a gun on me. 
And I was second grade, you know, coming home from school ahead of my brother and sister. And the guy's name was Dickie Duke. And he had a gun on me, had me go look for valuables, which we had none. And then he walked out the back of the house and he said, if I ever, if you ever tell anyone who I am, I'm going to hunt you down. It helped me. Wow. Because I ended up uh, not going on the front side of the neighborhood uh, because of what he did, because he said he would hunt me down. Because my sister came home right after he let me go. She was in the fifth grade. And, well, she called my mom and dad. They were home and like, in, <laughs> if you, my dad worked like 45 minutes away. I swear he was home in 20 minutes. <laughs> it was incredible. And they, him and the next door neighbor hunted down the guy, found him. Really? Uh, didn't have me identify him. And I did identify the call the police. The, the young man, he was 16 at the time. He, uh, he was out of jail uh, within the day. That, that night he was walking around the street. And, but uh, my mom made me stay home. I stayed home, that happened on a Tuesday. I stayed home the rest of the week. And uh, I just remember looking out the front window like and he and that one time I remember him walking by the front window holding his fist up as he walked by our house because his street that he lived on was um, if I had to go out the neighborhood I had to go out our main street or our street and he lived on the street to the left so he had to make a left to come out of the neighborhood so he always walked by our house or rode his bike by our house work so um, I didn't confront him again until I was 21 years old. But the good thing about it, because of what he did, he forced me to stop hanging out in the front side of the neighborhood. The front side of the neighborhood was the neighborhood where most of the guys ended up getting in trouble, uh, big trouble, jail, drugs, uh, drinking a lot, all that kind of stuff. I went to the back side of the neighborhood because I was trying to avoid the front of my street to hang out and find new friends, which I did. Now I didn't play sports. So we got into running track, playing football, doing those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, their parents were very good parents, and so they didn't allow them to drink or anything like that. And we just, just had a good time just going to football games all the time and track meets. And my grades were real well. But the, my grades were, were good. So uh, I ended up going to the... Uh, going to a really nice school. And then, uh, so I came home, I went to the Air Force Academy. Right. So, so the, the, my junior year after, my junior year at the Academy, I came back, uh, I was on the street talking to a friend of mine on the front side of the neighborhood. His name was James Jr. He's there. Hmm. And, uh, but James was out front and I saw him, so I walked down to his house and I said, hey, what's up? How you been? No, they trying to catch up. And who do I see walking up the street? And I hadn't seen him since I was seven. And he walks up to me. Uh, he walks, he, he changed, he was going to make a left turn to the next that street, but he decided to come over where me and James Jr. were talking in the driveway. <laughs> and he goes, are you down? I go, yes. He goes, you the one I held the gun on when you were seven, right? I said, yep. He goes, man, I never got a chance to apologize to you. I said, yeah, man, that really messed me up. He goes, yeah, man, uh, we talk about you all the time. 
The guy's in prison and I just got out two weeks ago. And at the point he had just gotten out two weeks prior. And, uh, you know, we're proud of you, man. I heard you're a good astronaut. I go, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to do the flying thing, you know. And, um, and so, you know, gave him a hug. Gave him a hug, walked away. He got killed robbing a convenience store two weeks after that. Wow. Shot in the head. Man. So, you know, I thank him. Because I, I look at the direction most of my friends on the front side of the neighborhood were going. Right. And that made me go a different direction. So your your neighborhood was was the the epitome of, of wrong side of the tracks. You, yes. you actually you didn't have a little town. It was actually within your neighborhood where you go one side, you're going in one direction. If you go on the other side, you'll make it. You're gonna get in another direction. Exactly. Wow. It all depended on who your friends were. Right. That that was even with, on the backside, who your friends were, who who did you hang out with, and um, a lot of times you know you get into those. Uh, Groups that they, they try to create little games back then, and everybody. We, I remember one time we had a game fight, you know, and we went to Cloverland and Hillwood. That was my neighborhood, Hillwood, and you would, uh, you would, like we were all kids. We were like third grade. We'd be like, oh, we're gonna have a game fight because I think that movie Colors something was out, right? And some movie, and then some like impression y'all want to be in a game, so we we did that and. After we had the game fight, everybody was like, so let's go play basketball. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was so minor. And then I think that's the way people were experimenting. And then when, after in 81, when the drug war kind of started up, that's when things went from imaginary to real. When people started really, started selling money, you know, selling drugs to make money. And then the guns started showing up. And people started uh, going to jail left and right. Cops were everywhere. Really? Yeah. And this was and this was like a, a, obviously a brand new neighborhood, or, or it was in 1969, yeah. Right. This wasn't like an area that had been there for 40 years, yeah. where you know poverty stricken people can't make it no. there. It's it's not like South Central LA, for example. No. You know, um, and not to not to you know, yeah, put conjecture on South Central LA, but to me it sounds like it, it was a good suburban area decent family place to raise a family that just kind of turned for the worse. Yeah, it turned with the jobs. When the jobs went away, that's when crime went up. And then when crime went up and the young men started getting in trouble, you take away the male presence in in our neighborhood and all of a sudden you have a bunch of single family homes that were being run by a lot of teenage boys just just aimless. Mm -hmm. Standing on the corner, you know, they would see someone who made it out and they were very proud of them, but then they were like, it was... It was nowhere to turn for them. And I, you felt for them. You come home and you see those guys, the same guys you grew up with in elementary school and junior high, and just kind of walking around. I remember when I was home, this is just a side story. Uh, I was home about three years ago and talking out in front of my dad, still lives in the same house. And a, one of the kids that went to high school with me walked by and he just looked completely toe up. He was. He could tell that he had given up, you know, drugs, mm-hmm. whatever. But he saw me, he lit up, he goes, damn, hi, man, how you doing, what's going on? And I was like, man, what happened to you? You know, you didn't, 
you didn't turn the corner, you didn't make it out, and he's trapped, he's living back at home at his mom's place, you know what I mean? He's 50, back then 55 years old, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Man. So, where you grew up at, was it predominantly black? Oh, yeah. 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 So, exactly. in that, I guess, lack of a better word, bubble, you know, what what kind of, did you experience racism? Or was it mainly, you know, threat from law enforcement? Or you no, venture out of your area? So, when I grew up, there was no law enforcement in our area. Police didn't drive our street. There was no need to. Everything was so nice until 1981. Um, it wasn't until I turned uh, 16 and I had the grand, oh, I was 15 actually, I had the grand idea that I'm gonna go buy my first car. And my dad uh, said, okay, just you can go anywhere in the city to look for a car, I'll look in the one ads, but just don't go to this one area of Houston. I won't name the area because it's different now. Um, and sure enough, you know, me being a six foot one at that point, you know, deep voice, what, what are you talking about? I go anywhere. So I took a bus to that area. Now, mom and dad are not, not knowing, they didn't talk about their history like we talk about, like I talk about my history with uh, my family today. Um, but we, uh, they didn't, but they just said, don't go to this area. I said, okay. So I took the bus to that area. I got off the bus and I was walking up the street. And these two white guys pull up next to me. And they say, you lost boy. And I said, no, I'm trying to find, no, this address, come buy the car. And they said, well, you don't even have to be down here. I said, well, it's a free world. I just kept walking. And I said, we're gonna kick your- oh, I'm explicit, in- you can say yeah. whatever you want. So. Uh, I said, I said I'm gonna kick, we're gonna kick your nigger ass. And I said, no, you're not. You gotta catch me. So I took off running. Wow. So I took off running, they, got, they uh, got back in their car and they started chasing me down the street. And I was an outdoor food market and I saw, it was all white people out there. So I ran to out to the market and said, it won't bother me there. They drove right up to the market. It was, I remember it was white, that white dust, like you see gravel dust, that kind of kicked up. And I, so I took off again, I saw Burger King up the street, about a half mile away. So I took off to the Burger King. I saw a black face in there. So I was like, I'm going in there. So I went in there and they drove up to the uh, front of the store, the Burger King. And I ran in, I, I, I wasn't even out of breath. And they gave the old finger and they drove off. And I got on the payphone and I called my mom. Yeah, you're not gonna walk back. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna catch the bus back either to the bus stop. Right. So I called my mom and said, Mom, you need to come pick me up. I was crying at that point. And she goes, What's wrong? And I said, I'm in the area of Houston. And she goes, we told you not to go there. Why are you there? I said, I'm looking for a car. Where is that? Give me the address. I gave her the address. And she was there in no time at all. And she was like, 
she could tell she was, my mom is not the mom to cry, but she looked very, very concerned because they tried to shelter us. Mm. They tried to shelter us like any other good family would do. And I stepped outside the box for the first time. When I stepped outside the box, I got exposed. And I, you know, and I'm like, what in the world? I mean, I'm just, got, got great grades, because you know I ended up going after, I'm like, what, I, I'm a model citizen, I'm what you want, I'm, I'm working. Right. Matter of fact, I'm a, man, I'm a manager at Astroworld as a 16 year old. I'm buying my first car and you're treating me this because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. You don't see my character, you know, so. Man, that, that's quite a story. And it's not like you're a small guy, so. No. no. I was skinnier then. Well, I think we all were. <laughs> you know? Man, that, oh, that, that had to be horrific. I mean, I, and, and it's like, and I said this in my intro, I, I'm a privileged white guy. You know, I, I can't help it. There's nothing I did anything about it. But I, I can't relate. You know, these are stories where I, I've never experienced any kind of racism or any kind of prejudice or targeting because of just what I look like. Now, you know, I have a beard now, so I do get, you know, surprise looks when I start talking and I'm actually intelligent, not a, you know, hillbilly, you know, like they, they make the, the, the assumption of, but that's nowhere near comparison, of course, with, with what you guys have dealt with. Now, you know, you guys did def- definitely much separate paths. Um, your, your college years, um, did, did either, obviously you went to the academy, um, Jane, what about you? Where did, where did you UNT. go? You did go to UNT. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you were in metropolitan area. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like? I mean, did you guys kind of find your own clicks and stay away from the wrong crowds or could you even help, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because I chose UNT because of its diversity, right? And to me, UNT is um, very much like a hippie school and has, was known for and is known for its diversity, and that's why I chose it. Um, growing up, uh, my later years in Lubbock uh, was, um, I mean, there were no, like, just like um, John here, uh, we had... There's, you know, there's the black side of town, which is the east side of Lubbock, and then there's the west side of town, which is the white side of Lubbock, and I don't know if that's changed or not, but that's definitely how it was back then. We lived, my family, we lived on the west side, and so we lived um, around white people all the time. I went to all white schools and had all white friends and didn't have really much of a black experience until I went to high school and had a little bit more interaction with black people. So I feel like I, in some ways, missed out on some things. And so I wanted to go to a school where I could explore more of my own culture because being the only black person in an all white area is traumatizing. <laughs> so, Couldn't even so, imagine, yeah. But I didn't know it at the time. So it took me some time to explore, like why do I do certain things where is this fear? Where is this um, sort of this feeling of having to step back and not be like um, um, allowing the white person to have all of the privilege and the and all that? Where I kind of take a step back. Well, that's because that's a lot of brainwashing. It's a lot of conditioning, and I had to work through 
that and still work through that because that is some deep-seated stuff that happens um, as a black person in this country you are um, told from birth regardless of what your parents teach you the culture around you everything you see around you you are the um, the wrong one like you look wrong you um, you don't see any images of yourself um, so you of course are going to grow up thinking that well but there's something wrong there's something innately wrong with me mm -hmm. so i had to work through that and i knew that the best way to do that was to be around more black people so that i wouldn't feel like i am you know there's this concept um in african-american thinking called the magical negro where you are like the one uh -huh. and so you kind of represent the race and everybody comes like all your white friends come to you for all the answers so I was tired of that. Um, I was tired of sort of being this little black sidekick where you're just kind of the also ran. So I felt like I needed to go to a school that had more diversity so that I could have a broader perspective on my own culture. So that's why I chose, um, one of the main reasons why um, I chose UNT. And it was great. Um, it was, I was no longer the only one. Mm -hmm. There was a whole bunch of different black people with different thoughts and ideas and ways of being and so I was able to find out more of who I was and what I was interested in and not feel like um, I had to represent the entire race there was more people that look like me and we can interact and so it was a it was a, it was a great experience and I feel like I grew a lot by attending UNT because I definitely came from an all-white mm -hmm. background where I just felt like um, a lot of my psyche was stunted right. because of that, and then I was able to grow. And to, to no fault of your own. I mean, obviously, your, right. your parents worked very hard. They right. wanted to have nice things. In, in, right. in, in, in our worlds, it shouldn't matter. I really right. don't care what my neighbors look like. You know, right. I, I care if you know there's drugs going in the in the city or or my town or my neighborhood and guns and whatnot. Right. But but I don't care about people color color of their skin. Right. And it, it just seems that you know your parents wanted to give you a good neighborhood, a, yeah. a safe place to live with nice things and right. But not knowing or realizing what it would eventually do to you psychologically. Absolutely, that's what I deal with, me and my husband deal with with our children to this day. So right. we, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult choice. Do you, and it's one that has been put upon us by the, the country and the society that we live in, all of the quote unquote nice things, right. the nice schools, the nice houses, all that is in the white area. Mm -hmm. And then so-called the one of the schools, because they're not funded, it's just right. because of the historical racism and all, all that stuff. Right. So you, as a black person who has the means, you gotta decide, right. do I want this life where my kids can go to like the five-star schools or do I want to not damage my kids' psyche and grow up in a neighborhood where there's a lot more diversity? Right. And but Sometimes you, make it, you choose right. And I hate to wrong. cut you off, but I, I don't yeah. want to lose it. And, mm -hmm. and you know what you're talking about here is exactly what we mean by systemic. Yes. You know th this exactly. I think is something that needs to get across. Of it's become a tagline now, mm -hmm. and and I don't want to get off subject. I want to get back to what you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I, I don't want to lose that either because I think it's an important point to make. You know, this is what we call systemic, mm -hmm. where you have to grow up in a white neighborhood because your parents work hard and they want to provide you with nice things. 
And it is. It's the society that, that has been built because of the brutal racism that went on in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And it's how everybody was developed. And, you know, we still have problems today with, with gerrymandering and, mm-hmm. and, you know, things of all of those north, uh, source of nature. And I think, it, I mean, it's great that your parents tried to do that, but I, that's the problem. And that's why we're talking is because it's systemic. It, it's not just, you know, this guy got killed because he was black. Mm-hmm. That, that's not the reason that we call it systemic. Systemic is because it's part of our society. It's ingrained in how our communities are planned and developed and moved and you know they call it gentrification now it's got big names that people don't understand really what that means so I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to highlight that of when we say systemic racism that is what we're talking yeah, about. yeah I think people don't want like you know individuals are like well I'm not racist you know and and I, I get that and on an individual basis you may not be racist but but we all grew up in a racist, I mean, the systems have historically been anti-black. And so it's very hard when you've got so many chips against you, so many strikes against you, it's very hard to climb out of that. Now, some people can and they do great, but, and that's awesome and wonderful and should be celebrated, but we, I don't think that we should look at the people who have a harder time or who struggle with it. Um, well, and you're relating exactly to how John grew up. I mean, he had a neighborhood that, you know, when he grew up, it was perfect. It was new. There was no police. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. some jobs are lost and crime moves in. And the crime just keeps escalating to where, okay, now my neighborhood is divided in half. And if you go on this side, it's drugs, it's crime, mm-hmm. which is exacerbated by so many conspiracy theories. You know, government brought in drugs. The government helped the cocaine trade. They made tons of money, you know, things of like that. And, and by the way, that will probably be another podcast on conspiracy theories, but back to the point of hand. Um, yeah, yeah, so are you, you have these polar opposites and these causes, and, and that's, that's what I think people need to understand. Like the white people that say, I'm not racist. That's great, but do you understand why Black Lives Matter is a movement now? Do you understand why we say systemic racism? It may be great that you're racist, but if you don't recognize the problem, it's still a problem. Well, I think the word racist has, rightfully so, right? So you think about a racist and you think about a KKK or skinhead, you think about all these horrible, horrible things. Okay. But I don't see it that way. Like I see that people are racist because of the systematic racism, just the conditioning that we have. I've, I have that conditioning where I have to work through the fact that I am just as good. I mean, I, I mean, as hard as my parents worked on that, you are a frog in water that's slowly being boiled. So, and so you don't know that you're boiling to death because right. you're just, this is the environment that you swim you're in. Getting used to yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. I just think that everybody, I just believe everybody has, I don't see how you could live in America and not have some racist tendencies. And I think we need to not be afraid to say, yeah, you know what, I am kind of a racist mm-hmm. and not feel like people are going to jump down our throats because that's the worst thing you could ever call anybody. I don't think it is the worst thing you could call somebody. Right. I think if you, if you say, yeah, I've got some racist tendencies. Yes. I prejudge people. Yes. I then 
great, then we can have a conversation. But if it shuts you down and if you feel so offended, well, we can't, we can't move. You're lying. I just, I think, this is my opinion, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to me. When you don't, when you say, I don't see color or I, I don't have any races to, I see everybody the same. That's just not true. I just don't right. believe it. Well, and I think, I think, it, I think it's a little bit different. So, so the point that you made there, is, and I say something very, very similar, is like, I'm not racist, but I do have my prejudices. Yes. You know, and I think there's, I think there's a big difference between racism and having your prejudices. Yes, I've, I'm just as guilty of it. I've made judgment calls. I've yeah. looked at people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and gone, All right, I know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and one, that is the society that we're brought up in. That's how, we, like you said, we, we get ingrained with how things are, what we're taught, how they should be and whatnot. Uh, but I agree with you. I think if you can't admit it at some point, then you're never going to be a solution to the problem. It, it's never going to get better. Um, but I, I do the same. I, my thing is, is I have my prejudices though. And it's like when I'm, I, I have road rage really, really bad. My wife will attest to that. And there are times where, and I don't see who the person is. I can't see them. And then I pull up and it's a little Asian woman. And I'm like, oh God, Asian women drivers. And I might catch some slack from that, but I do do that. Now that doesn't mean I hate all Asians and I think all Asian women are terrible drivers. No, it's just my experience is, is that's what I've seen the majority of the time. So I do have kind of a prejudice towards that now. Don't verbally, you know, abuse anybody for it. It's all in my car and it's just like, oh, get out of the road. But that does happen. And, and you're right. If you can't at least admit to that, then, then you can't have a, a conversation about it. Um, so I do want to, John, I want, I want to hear about your experience in college. So your experience is probably a little bit different than, than you know, Jane or mine. I went to a liberal arts school and a little place down in Waco. Um, you know, Jane went to UNT, which is another liberal arts school. You, you went military. And can you imagine going from an all-black area? No. To the Air Force Academy. Well, I'm sure you kind of felt like Jane did in high school where you were probably a single solitary. Yeah. Yes. I switched roles um, because, and you know, our high school was a experiment from Connecticut. They call it a magnet program. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was high school engineering professions. Much like like charter schools. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Very much like that. And so you bring in different kids from all over Houston to integrate uh, the schools without doing busing. Uh, we were bused, but it was only because by choice. Right. Because you wanted to go to the magnet school. And um, because of that, we were 30, 30, 30. 30% black, 30% white, and 30% other. It was utopia. We loved each other. We got along. Everybody hung out, party together. We just, it was no big deal at all. We didn't know. Nobody had a prejudice from what I could see. We all got along. So when I get to the academy, I'm thinking high school, the white guys I knew there, the white girls I knew there, we, we, nobody cares, you date it, you right. just whatever, no big deal. Yeah, then you hit, <laughs> then you hit. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't, because you, know, you know you have an honor code there, I would not lie, I still don't cheat, tolerate monkeys right. anyone who does. So most people were good people, but it's all about power. That's what it's about. Right. It, it, it's, you're competing now. You're competing for where you're going to go after you graduate, mm-hmm. college training slots, uh, 
jobs in right. the Air Force. And when you start competing, the power is going to rear its ugly head, and that's where the prejudice comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's, and the thing, I'm just competing. Well, you're using an extra ex- aspect to compete. Mm-hmm. You're doing something that I can't do. You're going to talk to an uncle, a cousin, a friend. You know, you're having dinner. You're playing golf. You're going skiing. You're doing all those things in your groups that I'm excluded from. Mm-hmm. And that's where the power, that's where the decisions are made. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? And It goes back to that. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. It, that's what's systematic. You know, back to what uh, Jane was saying. is 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 the system, when you're, in, when you're sitting there watching it, you're going, okay, there's, there's a term that most of my friends use and I'm Every black person in America probably says the same thing. You gotta learn how to play the game. Right. You start playing the game. You start finding, okay, who can I befriend? Who can I not? Who's from the East Coast, the Northeast, mm-hmm. or the Midwest, like Minnesota, which pretty cool guys, California, good guys. You know, you start figuring out, and then from the South, you gotta figure out who the guys that hung out with other black people. Because you know that if, since they have multiple exposures, they don't have the judgment. Right. Because they, they know other blacks. They know the good, the bad, the, you know. So it really, you start playing that game. Like, who do you, a lot of guys that they play in sports, it's easy to differentiate because you're all on the same team. You're working together. You get to know them. And they get to know your character. So you kind of grow a different kind of bond through sports. I didn't play sports at the academy. So I was just right. Look at that. So... That was my experience with Kathy. Interesting. Definitely. Um, you know, that, that kind of, it, we keep talking here, and, and one thing I, I haven't asked that I actually wanted to, and the reason I ask it is because now I'm hearing different things. So, do you prefer to be, and labeled is the wrong word, but of course it's, it's what's going to be said, do you prefer black or African-American? Because I have heard a lot of people um, that I know and have heard in the past, like, I'm not from Africa. I'm not an African-American. I'm black. What, what do you, what, what's your thoughts on that? What do you, one, what do you guys, you know, do you have a preference? Does it matter? Does it mean the same thing? Or is that kind of up to individuals? To me, it's up to individuals. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care either. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Like in mm-hmm. where you came from, um, so that you know we would. Of course, black has all kinds of negative connotations. Black sheep of the family, right? Um, black ball, yeah, ball. Black, all yeah. of that. So that's except for I guess negative. Black Friday. Yeah, I mean, that's the only So he came out with the term African American, um, and I think you know probably a lot of the older generation um, is like, oh, I've just you know been called black my whole life, so you know what's what's the big deal but that was the reason why I just wanted to like instill some pride in where we came from such a long time ago right. but, do, do you know that um, on my birth certificate do you know what it classes me at no race what 
It's not black and it's not African American. What is it? Colored? Negro. Negro. Really? Yeah. See now that now that to me, Negro colored those get those to me are negative connotations. That that's we see it in the movies and yeah. you know you you get the typical Southern hick, all oh, that Negro or that colored yeah. boy or whatnot. That that to me has negative connotations. I've never used that at, at all. I, I don't think I, I would just because it just doesn't sound right. You get that negative connotation with it. So that that that's, that's my birth certificate. That's insane. So that's a reminder. It, it is my generation. Yeah, absolutely. If you go back and look at your birth. Oh, y'all did cut birth certificate. Okay. Mine probably oh. says that too. Probably. It does. Probably. Yeah. 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 It'd be something interesting to go back and, uh-huh. and look at and see yeah. what it does. Wow. That yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, did your parents ever give you or or tell you of any, you know, horrifying stories? I mean, did, uh, Jane, obviously, it sounds like your parents kind of protected you a lot. Um, yeah. And John, you too. You said they kind of wanted to, you know, shelter you. So, yeah. did did they ever really give you any insight to what their their youth was like or when they were growing up? I mean, and that would have been, you know, in the era of of extreme racism where it was in your face and blatant everywhere you went. Yeah, I mean, I think for them, my parents grew up uh, in, you know, in segregated. So, you know, nothing really horrible happened unless you, like what you talked about, you kind of stepped out of line. If, if you, you crossed kinda, the line. Yeah, yeah, if you went into the white areas, if you dared to go, you know, to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Green Book. Oh yes. So yes. you know, my parents would use that mm-hmm. where when because we would travel across country all the time, and so we had the Green Book, and we just knew where so, we could go. And I'm going to interrupt you. So for those that don't know, the Green Book, and actually it was in the movie, and, and it was a very very small part of the movie. Unfortunately, the name was after it, right. but so so the Green Book was something utilized by by African Americans back in the 50s and 60s of, of safe places that they could go, safe hotels they could stay at when they were wanted to travel. Um, and, and that's what that book was used for. Um, so I just want to kind of let, let people know exactly what, what yeah. is meant by that when you say the Green Book. Well, and, I know, and, it, and a lot of that goes back to like slave times when slaves would have their own kind of language uh, so they could kind of work around the, um, I guess, you, the master. The slave was, owners, yeah. yeah. slave owner. Um, so, you know, we have to find ways to communicate to stay safe. So singing songs or making up a different language or different like words for different things so that you could stay safe. And so that has carried on and then went through the green book or like, hey, you know, you can't. And, you know, I'm 51 years old when I was a baby and a toddler still, you know, I, we were still using the green book. So mm-hmm. that's been 40 or so, 45 years that right. that has, was still being used as a way for us to travel um, safely. Otherwise, you know, who knows what could have happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've had um, relatives who were lynched. My grandfather had horrible racism. Um, that he dealt with, um, you know, things, anything from super violent to just training, you know, working someplace and training the person who's going to be your manager. So instead of you being promoted, you're training all these white people to um, ha- have, be the supervisor over mm-hmm. you. So things like that, not being able to go to college. Um, things like, you know, so, so, so people wonder, like, well, why do you have a lot of people? Well, 
Yeah, well, that's why, again, we call it systemic. systemic, It was made that way. It was designed that way to where, no, we were so racist. We still still have, I I would like to think that we still have it. We do have a lot of racists still in this country. I would like to think that it's not nearly as bad as it was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But we're still kind of in that culture. That's how our country was designed. That's how capitalism was made was... Those founders back in those eras created the system, and it's taking what we're doing today to try and claw out of that because it was so ingrained and it was so built as a foundation that it's really hard to tear down a building, you know, or rebuild a building when you have to start at the foundation. Well, especially when you have a large segment of the population who does not want to tear down, like, right. who, oh, they, they absolutely. profit and they benefit from that. So yes. they have no interest at all. That's why prisons are privatized now. You know, the largest percentage of people in prisons are black men. So there's a reason for that. Like, that's not by accident. It's by design. So uh, there's so much deep, Mm. deep deep-seated fear of, um, you know, my philosophy on that is, and this is probably super controversial, but I really believe this, is that um, white people, and I'm generalizing here, but... um, and I've heard this actually from maybe some fringe white groups where they do feel like that their race can become extinct because if you do mix them, a black person and a white person, that person is going to get darker and darker and darker. And then before you know it, there's no white race. No, I don't buy the fact. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there is any such thing as a white race. Like, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. Um, but a lot of people do think that's true. And so I think this fear of annihilation, fear of, of your way of life, um, right. you see yourself and you intermix with a black person and all of a sudden you don't see yourself the right. way you did. See, and I, I would call that two things. One, that's ignorant. Uh, you need to really search a little bit more about how genetics works. Um, and, and two, I think that a lot of part of that population really truly believes that Jesus was white too. Yeah, well, that's a long story. Oh yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It, it goes to that line yeah, of thinking where of you've grown up like that. That's all you're taught. And I'm sure. sorry if you if you go and, and you study any kind of history. We we came from you know Mesopotamia, Sumeria. They're all darker skinned. All of them. The the Jews, the original Jews, were all darker skinned. There's no getting around that. But you have this ignorance that's ingrained in everybody of, yeah, oh. Well, the master race and manifest destiny and all that stuff. You right. Know, that, so, you know, that, that, that is, sinks in. And, I mean, if, you're, if that's, that's an easy thing to hold on to. Because I think we all want to feel, I just think it's part of who we, we just all want to feel better. We just, I just, we just want to feel that. So whatever we can, like, grab onto I think, you know, we're going to grab onto it. And then if we're not one to look at ourselves and to do some introspection, then right. we're just going to run with it. It's yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, John, what about you? I mean, um, you, you've mentioned that your parents kind of sheltered you. Um, did they give you any insight to what their upbringing was like and the life that they lived as, when they were younger? Besides besides the struggle, obviously. Yeah, but. obviously my... my my father only had a sixth grade education, mm-hmm. as far as I know. He could have been eighth grade, but uh, he started working right away. Uh, he talked about, you know, the idea that he, his father instilled in him the value of work. So my dad, when I grew up, we had, he had two to three jobs at a time. 
all the time. My mom was all about education. Although uh, she had kids young, she later on went back to college, got her bachelor's, master's, uh, became a teacher, um, and then after four years doing teaching, she got bored and went to law school. Wow. And became a lawyer. So hers was education. You get education, you gotta get, you gotta get a doctorate too. You gotta get a so it was all about beating to uh, my brother, sister, and I about getting education. And um, so the, the, they didn't, my dad, so he just grew up you know, on a farm in Louisiana. Okay. You know, then they went to a house. and So they worked. It's always, my mom grew up on a farm in, in Southeast Texas. Um, so they worked farm. They were sheltered. It was all black community. Right. You know, it was just like what I had in the neighborhood until I stepped up. You know, and then when they came to Houston, they came to the black part of town. And so it was still sheltered in a way. But right. then when they started working, what uh, Jane was saying about uh, my father was training his future supervisors. Right, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, and and that even still, I mean, I'm glad that you don't have any horror stories, but the sad fact remains is because they had to live somewhere where they felt safe. They couldn't live where they wanted, they had to live where they could, where they could. Well, one thing my mom, she couldn't go, when she finished her um, bachelor's, she wanted to go to U of H to get the law degree. And they, she had a very high LSAT score and they didn't admit her because she was black. Wow. And so that really, she talks about it today, keeps the score that she had and that's why she waited to go to University of Houston based college law 10 years later. That was 1968 to 1978 when she found wow. it. So that did hold it back a little. And it did. But you also got to think that when she, came, when she became a lawyer, she didn't, she was trying to, she didn't want to get into the system where she had to go work for a white law firm. She wanted to do it on her own. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you don't have, you got to have the money. Yeah. Oh, I, that, you got to have the money to compete. And, and more true probably now than back then. Yes, I, it's I mean, hard. It's hard when you don't have the financial back, backing. No, and, and so, my wife and I have talked about that, and it, it, it is. It's, it's another systemic issue. It's, yeah, you have to have a degree to get a job now. And to get a good degree, you got to spend like $100,000 going to debt. Exactly. And then you've got to get the job after you get out of college, if you get a job in your field, and you've got to pay back that debt. Yeah. And so now we have, and, and yeah, this is a whole other podcast to talk about of, of credit and, and the yeah. whole way the system's designed with now with college. Uh, but now I, I kind of want to move on to now modern day. So I thank you guys definitely for, for giving kind of your, your each perspective on, on your histories and what you guys have gone through and your parents. Um, do, do you feel like racism now, and especially I guess since, since COVID, we're all at home and everything's in our face on TV 24-7. Do you think it's become now a mainstream issue again? Or do you think we had a little blip? And, you know, I, I think personally that it's been festering for quite a while. And probably since more like Rodney King. Like, I think that's the mm-hmm. last time in my lifetime that I remember race really being up front in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think that, or are, and are you worried that it, this is just another blip? Because like we talked about earlier, it, it really got stymied with Trump and getting COVID and the election coming up. I, I think the, the issue of racism and the protests have really died down in the mainstream media. I don't hear a lot of it until, you know, Wolf City last week. 
Um, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I think that, no, it's not a blip. I think if you're black in America, that this is just a stream of history that's gone from when we were here to today. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, it's never left our consciousness or our experience. But of course, there's going to be some flashpoints that kind of bubble up mm -hmm. every now and then. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for black people, it's just, it's just has always been. And who knows? Hopefully, it won't always. And white be the people case. just don't realize yeah, it, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and we, we don't. We, like, no, I, I, I don't. I know that you it. don't. And yeah. that's okay. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's okay. But it certainly isn't. No. Yeah. No, I, it's but not. I, I think that because like, when I read that question, I was like, oh no, this has been going. Like you know, black people are like this has been going on forever. Like you know, you look around, and you're like, this has been going on forever. Like right. where where have they been? Like what are they? What world are they living in? This has been going on forever. Um, but you know, that's you know society we're raising. But I, um, I just think that yes, it's been. I think with Obama, honestly, I think Obama's when he got elected, that like Trigger. threw the lights on. Yeah, Trigger. triggered is a perfect word. Yeah. Trigger is a perfect word. It triggered, and so that's why I think that all of a sudden, like all hell broke loose when he got elected. Because my God, like. What does that mean? Like, well, if you're white he and you're a person system. who's yeah. racist, you're like, what? how did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah. Like, that's not supposed to happen. Like, right. they're not supposed to be smart. Like, they're not supposed to be capable. So, what does that say about me? All kinds of, I'm sure, existential crises happened right. when Obama got elected. Right. So, um, wouldn't it give hope too? I think. Yeah. You know, I think that that was one of the biggest things about Obama was. It gave hope. Now, Obama was certainly privileged. I mean, he, he grew yes. up in Hawaii, you know. And mixed race, Yes, too. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, he got to go to Harvard Law. So he, he was very privileged. But I, I, I agree with you. I think just the fact that he, he won, he became president, I think he's one of the greatest presidents that we've had and the things that he at least tried mm -hmm. to do. Um, but he did. He broke, he broke that stigma. He, he broke the barrier showing that you know what the white men are always going to keep the black men down and and he broke all of that mm -hmm. so i agree i think he was a great sign of hope i just hope he didn't lose it in the last four years either i go ahead go ahead well you i just i think oh. i just i just think i i i i just think that people it, he brought out I and mean, we saw the response to him when he was president and how People did, and you know you can't say it was all bad because obviously he won. Like he won two terms, so mm -hmm. something had to have like resonated. Well, and he won people. the second term by yeah. a lot. I mean, yeah. there was no question about that one. So something resonated. So there were two responses to Obama. There was this, "Wow, we're post-racial. Um, we don't have to worry about this anymore. Let's move on." And then there was, "Oh no, what are we gonna do?" Like we were okay. <laughs> okay, so we were in this. We went to, when Obama won, we went to uh, Barnes & Noble to get all the papers because we wanted to keep the papers. Mm -hmm. We had a white woman come up to us, bawling, crying her eyes out, terrified. Are you guys gonna, and I, are you guys gonna come after me? Uh, what does this mean? I'm afraid. Basically, protect me from the wrath that I know is coming because you guys are so mad because of all the stuff that's happened to you. 
she she was terrified, honestly terrified. Well, and it goes back to that fear. Yes. I mean, that you were talking about. Exactly. Not, except for this time, it was opposite now. Now it, it's the, right. the white the people are fearful. <laughs> but it also, right. I, I'm, God, that's just incredible. Yeah. yeah. To you, me, it's you, incredible. You talk, you talk about a group, um, about um, a group of people that exemplified extraordinary abilities. That was Tuskegee Airmen. Everyone talks about how great they were. And they are. They were great guys. Uh, but you know, not one Tuskegee Airman, oh, excuse me, only one Tuskegee Airman, there was 998 of them, became an Arab commercial airline pilot. Really? One. And that was in 1973. Man. When they hired the first woman in the same class at Frontier. Wow. Think about that. So you had all these people say, oh, they're not qualified. War heroes. That War heroes. Blue planes. Blue planes. Yeah. And they couldn't get out and get commercial airline jobs. Wow. Until 1973 when one guy did. The same class they hired the first female. Female pilot. Man. So that is, you know, when you think about the system, they, they were, I mean, they had Eleanor Roosevelt behind them. Mm-hmm. Right? But the system was much bigger than anything they wanted to do. They... They became doctors and lawyers and artists and all these other things, but you know they couldn't go to the next level. Wow! No, and I I had no clue about that. No, yeah. and that's long after the '64 Civil Rights Act. Oh, long after it, it took an act of uh, the Supreme Court to hire your first commercial airline pilot. I don't know if you knew that. Or not. No. Yes. Wow. 1963 December. That's just warm. that's insane. Yeah. Now, do you experience anything in your in in either of your fields uh, today, as far as in your racism? I know a lot of uh, a lot of days now that uh, you know I work in the corporate world and and you have to behave. You know, you you can't be. Play- it, it's undertoned if it does happen. It's not necessarily in your face anymore. But have you ever experienced in your, in your career? Not within the job. Outside the job, walking around the different. Cities, yes. Right. Early on, when I first got hired, um, mm-hmm. I remember one time I was, it happened like in the span of uh, six weeks, running, taking a little jog, you know, trying to stay in shape, mm-hmm. do the right thing, you know, here I am, every, you know, flying 747s at that point. And I was jogging in Denver. And I'm jogging on the sidewalk, and these two white guys drive by and said, Run, nigga, run. I'm like, I'm like, you don't know me? Yeah. They just screamed out the car. And they give me the, the finger. And I'm like, what was that about? So I keep on running, you know, I get back to the hotel. Like, uh, then about six weeks later, up in Hawaii. See, now these are not typical places where you <laughs> would yeah, exactly. experience these things at. Exactly. But it's everywhere, obviously. Same exact thing happened, though. Wow. And I was like, what? That's the last time this happened to me. But those two times in a six-week period, you know, in 1996. God. And with where you were at, it's not something you'd really you, expect. You, you wouldn't I mean, expect, especially in I mean, Colorado. If you were you not know, in, in Houston or, yeah, yeah, you flew into Georgia or something, mm-hmm. definitely I could see that. Yeah, but, you know, so that's like a little reminder that you think that you've you think moved you're beyond, safe. think you're safe. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait a minute, well, did I go again? You can't really relax 
Wow. You got to keep your guard up. You got to be prepared uh, because... And that's how you have to live every day. You have to live that way. You have to... You're always... Just like I told you before, when, you were, when you're at the cabin, you kind of learn to look for the cool guys. Mm -hmm. So that was part one of the conversation on racism with my friends, John and Jane. Please stay tuned for part two. We did have a little bit of technical difficulty, but the end of that conversation was pretty awesome actually talking with them. I will be getting the second part coming soon in the next few days. I wanna thank you for listening Please don't forget to go vote. Early voting in Texas starts on Tuesday. We need to make sure that everybody's voice is heard. As always, I appreciate any feedback. You can email me at breakingknowledge2020 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook at Breaking Knowledge. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Breaking K-N-W-L-D-G-E. Thank you again for listening, and as always, try to bring some kindness into this world.